All right, you can go ahead and be seated. And I want to welcome you this morning. Welcome to Crossroads Church. If we have not met, my name is Chris, one of the pastors here. And uh, man, it's a good day to be together, isn't it? You doing good this morning? All right, all right. Well, hey, if this is your first time here, uh, you've picked uh, an interesting weekend to join us because we are right in the middle of a three-week series that we have called Sex Talk, uh, where we are talking about... Okay, some of you didn't get that. All right, so when we are talking about... Okay, yeah, I have to say it like a hundred times up here, so you can help me out by, by saying that. Uh, but anyway, I want to welcome you this morning. And, and the reason why we're, we're talking about this is because it's a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal. In fact, last week, uh, you know, we're not holding back on this series because, you know, in fact, last week, Pastor Matt started off this series and he read a few verses uh, from the book of Song of Solomon um, where a third of you were left blushing, a third of you were left giggling like middle schoolers, and a third of you were looking around going, is he allowed to say that in church? And here's the thing is absolutely we're allowed to say this in church. In fact, we probably need to talk about this more often. Right? Why? Because God is the one who invented sex. He holds the copyright to what it is. I mean, he, he even commands it. In fact, in the very first chapter of uh, the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, we see this. He had just created Adam and Eve, and he says this, and God blessed them, and then God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, in other words, what he's saying is, Adam and Eve, I want you to go have sex and make babies. Like this was a command to the very first man and woman in marriage. God commanded it. He invented it. He commanded it. Here's the thing. The big idea of this whole series is this, is that sex is good because the God who created sex is good. Sex is good. He created it to be a good thing, that, that he created it as good because he is good. On the very next page in Genesis chapter 2, we see him talk about it more. It says this, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Chances are, if you've been to a wedding at all, you've, you've probably heard these verses. But here, it's talking about this idea that when a man and woman come together in marriage, that they become one flesh. And so I want to take a moment and just look at what does that phrase mean? What does this phrase, one flesh, mean? What does that, what does that look like? Well, there's, there's two aspects to it. One is, is like a theological aspect. And then one is a functional aspect. Okay, there's, a, there's a theological aspect to one flesh, and there's a functional aspect to one flesh. So the theological side of it first is, is this, is that when two people engage sexually, that it's not just a physical thing. It's not simply just a physical interaction. It's not just an exchanging of, of, of physical touch or anything like that, but that there's a, a deep spiritual thing happening there's a deep, mysterious, spiritual union that's going on, which is why the Bible and God have, have such a high view of sex. That it's a delicate, important, beautiful thing that we need to engage in rightly. Because when we don't, when, I, when, I, when we go around and we, and, and we give of ourselves and, and become one with other people, and soon enough we, we find ourselves giving so much of ourselves 
a way that it leaves us kind of wounded and, and hurting. So there's this theological aspect to sex that we become one flesh theologically, but functionally, functionally it looks like this, a, a deep intimacy, a, a protectedness, like, a, like an equally yoked sort of idea where, where you are on the same page as each other, where you are moving in the same direction with each other, where you are, where you are unified, where you are on the same page. Now, if, you, if you're married, you, you've had those moments, right? You, you've had those moments that I'm talking about where you're like, man, we are just functioning on all cylinders right now. Like this season, like we are good. Like we are strong. We are spending time together. Like we are happy. We love each other. We are on the same page. We're, we're making decisions together. We're not fighting about a bunch of stuff. We're, like we are one flesh. But what about those times where functionally you're not? What about those seasons where you're just like, man, we are not functioning as one flesh. I remember for Renee and I, we've been married, we'll be married for 21 years this coming summer. And, and quickly after our wedding day uh, was when we experienced this. So, so we get back from the honeymoon, you know, and which was, you know, awesome, right? The honeymoon phase is called the honeymoon phase for a reason. And, and, and we get back and, and we're moving my stuff into our place that we had just bought together. And, uh, and, and our very, we had our very first fight as a married couple. And uh, it was something about super, it was super important. I mean, it was high stakes. I mean, it was, it was something that if we didn't come to some conclusions, like serious consequences were going to come from it. It was about closet space. <laughs> we stood in our walk-in closet and we fought. We fought about who gets to hang their clothes where. We fought about who got which shelves. We fought about the closet space. And in that moment where both of us are looking at each other frustrated and angry, wondering why in the world is this crazy person not understanding my point of view on this, we were well aware that we weren't functioning as one flesh in that moment. And so have you been there before? A moment, a season like where you understand, yeah, I get that we're, we're connected as, as one flesh, but man, just to be honest with you, this season has been like, like two ships passing in the night. Or man, at best, we're, we're, we're just friends or we're roommates with benefits. You ever felt that way? You see, why don't we experience that one fleshness more often? Why don't we? You see, right after this, in the very next chapter in Genesis 3, we have what's called the fall, the fall of mankind, where before this, everything was created good, everything was created beautiful. Adam and Eve had this, this perfect intimacy where there was no shame, there was no secrets, there was, there was no uh, uh, challenging each other, there was, there was no disagreements, there was nothing like that. They were perfectly one flesh, and they decided to go against uh, God's rules, and, and, and they brought sin into the world, and at that moment, everything including including our one fleshness, everything fractured. And we see this happen in their relationship where immediately they noticed they were naked and they were ashamed and they went and hid from each other. You see, their one fleshness was, was broken. And since then, we can look back over the course of humankind's history and we can see the brokenness, the damage that's come from that one moment. 
I mean, think about it, right? Humans, we, we are overly fascinated with sex. We're overly fascinated with it. It's one of the greatest motivators of all times. I mean, right? People will throw away. They'll throw away their marriages, their houses. Their, they'll throw away money. They'll throw away their families to, 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 to try to appease this appetite. It's, it's one of the greatest motivators. People are addicted to it. Wars have been fought over sex. It's all over the place. I mean, it's in front of our faces all the times, whether it's songs we're listening to or social media or, or movies. Like, it is all over the place. Literally, we live in a world where sex is now a buffet. You just go up to the counter and, and take what you want. I mean, that's what the, the hookup culture is kind of like, right? Where there's, there's no strings attached. We're just out to have, have fun and have, have a good time. But, but man, doesn't that leave you hurting? And, and here's the other thing is that if you, if you don't want to engage with an actual human being, if you don't want to be vulnerable, then you don't have to. You can just click your way to satisfy your appetite. And when that gets boring, when that becomes enough, when that becomes too old or familiar, then you can just click on to the next thing. Now, for some of you, this is resonating deeply. For others of you, 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 you're thinking, yeah, I, I don't know about those things, Chris. Like, we, we haven't, we, we're not doing that stuff in our marriage. Like, we're not sleeping around. We're not, we're not doing these, we're not, we're not hiding our, 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 our browser history. We're not, we're not doing any of those things. But, but maybe it's showing up in your oneness in complaints like this, like subtle complaints like this. Man, we've just not had sex in much. And I, we, we've not had sex in months, and I'm not sure I want to. Or, or I don't feel attracted to her anymore. Or my wife makes me feel like she doesn't desire me. My husband rejects my advances. She, she never in initiates anything. I just feel used for his pleasure, for her pleasure. There's no emotional connection. Marriage that once was fun and exciting has lost its luster and has become just a big burden. How has that brokenness shown up in your one fleshness? And you see, this is why we're talking about it. Because if we don't, we know where we're headed. We know where we're headed. We're, we're broken people in a broken world. We know where we are headed if we don't talk about this. And so today, we're going to be talking about this idea that if sex is good, because the God who made sex is good, well, then the question becomes, then how do we have good sex? Or in other words, another way to say it is, how do we cultivate this idea of one fleshness. Like how do we, how do we pay attention to, how do, we, how do we put work and intentionality into this idea of one fleshness, not just sexually, but in all walks of life, that we are functioning as a unified person, a unified relationship. How do we connect emotionally, spiritually, mentally? So here's the big idea for today. Here's the, here's the big idea of where we're going for today is this, is that great sex starts way before sex starts. Great sex starts way before sex starts. Now, I'm going to explain what I mean by this. We're going to look at a couple of, of passages in the Bible. Um, both are from the Apostle Paul, but they're in different letters to different churches. But, but Paul has a lot to, uh, of good things to say when it comes to sex. So the first one we're going to be looking at is in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 7, uh, verses 3 and 4. If you want to turn there, feel free. If, you, if not, it's up on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says this. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Now, I'm going to stop right here because for some of us, the alarms are going off in our heads and we're like, well, hold on, time out, Chris. What in the world is this crazy guy talking about? Well, in order for us to understand what Paul's talking about here, we have to understand who he's writing this letter to. You see, there's this ancient city in Greece called Corinth. And there was this, this big city, this big metropolis that was this melting pot of, of people from various backgrounds, various religious beliefs, uh, a lot of people coming and going uh, because of, uh, it was a big commercial hub. And, and in the city of Corinth, about 600 years or so before this letter was written, uh, there is a temple that was built there that was built for the worship of the Greek goddess Aphrodite's. Now, in order to worship at the temple, what worship would look like, not like coming in here today and singing some songs and hearing a message and praying and singing some more songs and, and leaving, but, but how worship looked at the temple of Aphrodite is that you would go there, you'd hike up the hill to the temple, you'd select out one of the temple prostitutes, understand that as temple sex slaves, that's what they were, they were slaves to the temple, you would have sex with them. That was your worship to Aphrodite. I mean, this was so common in the Corinthian culture. This is, this is how they function. I mean, it was just like everyday stuff. I mean, just imagine in the morning you're having a conversation with your wife and you're like, and she's like, hey, honey, what, what are you doing today? And well, I'm going to go into the office for a couple hours. And then after lunch, I, I'm going to probably hike up to the temple and, and worship. And then after that, I'm going to catch a ball game with Jimmy and I'll be home by dinner. Like, okay, great. See you later, honey. Have a great day. I mean, it's crazy. But this is, this is what they were doing culturally in Corinth. Not only that, but men had so many more rights than, than any woman, not even the, the, the temple prostitutes, but any woman in Corinth had like pretty much zero rights. You see, men could go around and they could sleep with whoever they wanted to. They could, they could go around and, have, and just uh, do whatever they wanted. However, if a woman did that, and if she was married, she could be put to death by her husband on the spot without any consequence. You see, women in the Corinthian culture were, were nothing more than just commodities. They, they were a means to an end. They were the property of the men. That, that is what was going on in this city. And so what happens is this church of believers, this, this, these, these new believers in Jesus, they're like, I'm not sure that what we've been doing lines up with what Jesus wants us to do. We should ask Paul. Let's ask Paul. So what they do is they, they get a, a big piece of paper and they start making these bullet point questions. Paul, should we worship at the temple of Aphrodite? Paul, should we, uh, can men go around and sleep with whoever they want? And then a bunch of other questions and they send it off to Paul and Paul writes back his response to their questions, which is the book of 1 Corinthians that we have. It's a bunch of answers to the questions that they were asking. And in short, Paul says, yes, lots of stuff is changing for you. All the stuff that has been normal, everyday, uh, culturally accepted, we are not doing that anymore. Lots of stuff is changing. 
And he says this, he says, men, you have authority over your wife's body. And they're like, yeah, nothing new. We knew that. But then he says something so progressive, something so shocking, something so profound. He says also, wives now have authority over husband's body. To that, they're like, their mind is exploding. Like, wait, what? Hold on. This has never, ever, ever been done in the history of the world. Like, what do you mean? My wife has authority over my own body. My wife is, is, is property. Paul says, no, no, no. I mean, here's the thing. People say the Bible is so old-fashioned, but here's the thing. This is the most progressive, like, like women validating thing that you could see. Like Paul saying, no, 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 you're not treating your wives and women anymore just like property, but, but they actually have authority over your own body. This is a huge paradigm shift. This was extreme. And what he's doing is gently guiding them back to saying, yeah, God who designed sex is good and sex is good, but we need to get back to how he designed it. We need to get back to his original idea that it's within this protected, safe, covenantal, selfless agreement between a husband and wife that, that you are now prioritizing each other. This is how it was intended to be. And so getting real practical, what, is, what does this mean for us? Timothy Keller has an amazing book called The Meaning of Marriage. If, if you're married, if you're not married, you should read it. It's, it's an amazing book. But he says this, each partner in a marriage is to be the most concerned with not getting sexual pleasure, but with giving it. In short, the greatest sexual pleasure should be the pleasure of seeing your spouse getting sexual pleasure. When you get to the place where giving arousal is the most arousing thing, you are practicing this principle. I told you we weren't holding back. Why is this important? It's because it's possible, husbands and wives, to objectify your spouse. It's possible to commodify your spouse that they become simply a means to your appetite. And that's not what it's supposed to be. It doesn't end here because Paul says some really amazing things in another letter to the church in a city called Ephesus. Starting in chapter 5, verse 25, I'm going to skip around to a couple of verses. He says this in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and, and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now we're going to look at these two key words here that Paul tells us. Love and respect. These are pretty important, aren't they? They're pretty important in a marriage. They're pretty important in any relationship, especially in a marriage. Here's Paul says, husbands love your wives, wives respect your husbands. So what does he mean? Let's look at the first one. Husbands love your wives. Now, just because he is uh, commanding this to husbands doesn't mean that the wife also isn't commanded to do the same thing. He's not saying husbands love your wives, wives I don't care if you love your husbands. So he's saying it to both of them. So why then? Why does he 
say, why does he target husbands and say, husbands, love your wives? And I think it's because this, since that time where sin fractured everything that I just talked about in Genesis chapter three, since that time, most women have a haunting question in the back of their minds. And it's this question, am I lovable? Am I acceptable? Am I valued? Am I, am I worth it? Am I worth being pursued? Am I, am I worth being committed to? Am I worth being fought for? Paul says, husbands, love them. Answer that question for them every day. In word and in deed, love them. And don't just love them like you love cheeseburgers. Love them like what? How Jesus loves the church. And how did he do that? By giving himself up for her. That Jesus gave up everything. His reputation, his, his dignity, his, his comfort, his, his very life. Dying for enemies, giving grace when it wasn't uh, deserved, putting the needs of others before his own. Literally denying and sacrificing himself. That's a high calling, husbands. Husbands, love your wives in a way where you give everything to them. Where you give up everything for them. Serving her, protecting her, loving her, encouraging her, honoring her, building her up. And then Paul says, wives, uh, respect your husbands. Wives, respect your husbands. So again, this applies to both husbands and wives. Just because he's pointing it directly to wives doesn't mean that husbands don't get to respect their wives. He, but we, we have to all both do it. But, but what he's saying is, why does he say wives respect your husbands? Again, I think it's because since sin fractured everything, most men have a haunting question that resides in the back of their brains. And the question is this, is, am I enough? Am I enough? Wives, you have the perfect opportunity to answer this question for your husbands. You have the perfect opportunity to respect them so that this question becomes answered by the most important person in their lives. Respecting them, not only individually, but respecting them in front of other people. Here's the thing, there is no quicker way to deflate your husband than by disrespecting them in front of other people. Rolling eyes, harsh words, criticism, putting them down in front of other people. There's no quicker way to deflate your husband than by disrespecting them. You see, when it comes to love and respect, we live in a world, don't we, that, that tells us constantly that we're not lovable, that we're not enough. I mean, don't we? We, we live in a world where, where everything around us, all the messages coming our way, continually tell us you're not enough, that you're not man enough, that you don't make enough, that you're not beautiful enough, that you're not skinny enough, that you're not lovable enough, that you're not all of these things. Like all of the messages are coming our way and, and, and addressing this deep question we have. So the marriage is designed to be a sanctuary from those things, that we get to build each other up, 
loving and, and respecting the other person, cherishing them, fighting for them, honoring them, valuing them. And that is why great sex starts before sex starts. Great sex starts before sex starts because how we engage one another on the daily, how we engage one another when we are in sickness and in health, how we engage one another when we are in stressful times and in happy times and in good times and in bad times, how we are selflessly loving and, and nurturing each other and cultivating that one fleshness that has direct connections than with what happens later in the bedroom. You see, and it starts a cycle. Selfishness and every, selflessness, sorry, in everyday life will lead to selflessness in the bedroom. And vice versa, selflessness in the bedroom then leads to selflessness in everyday life. Have you noticed that in your lives? Like when you're functioning and all uh, in one fleshness, like everything starts to just sort of fit. But then when in one moment, like I, I start to be selfish, when one moment I let something in that shouldn't be there, and in one moment when I stop pr uh, protecting my marriage, then everything starts to get affected by it. Because the opposite of this is true as well, is that bad sex starts way before sex starts when we're distant, when we're selfish, when we're self-serving, when we're disconnected, when we allow things into our marriage that should not be there. You see, struggles in the bedroom are often just symptoms of deeper problems. And so, husbands and wives, I just have a, a question for you. It's this, is how is your one fleshness right now? How is it? If you're to just honestly, in your own mind, give yourself a grade. How is your one fleshness right now? And here's the thing. I've noticed that this changes maybe daily. But it's a good question to ask. Are we functioning as one flesh? Give yourself a grade. A D? Do you have a D? Do you have a D plus? Do you have a B? Do you have an A? Like, where are you at? And, and then here's the thing. Have a conversation about it. One of the most beneficial conversations that Renee and I have, because we do, we don't have the perfect marriage like nobody does, but one of the best, most fruitful conversations is that when we are disconnected, when our one fleshness grade is like a C or below, we stop and we have a conversation. Why are we so disconnected? What's going on? Is there something that we don't realize? Is there something happening? Is there, is, did, did something get mistaken for something else? Are, are we just too busy in life? Like, are we in a stressful season? Like, why are we having this disconnection? And then the second part is, what do we need to do to intentionally connect? What do we need to do to intentionally cultivate that one fleshness right now? So how is your one fleshness? Is there something that needs to be brought to light? Is there something in there that shouldn't be there? Have you forgotten to connect? Have you forgotten to serve one another? Have you allowed the, the fires of, of romance to, to die? Have you, um, have you stopped trying? Or are you too busy? You see, Paul here says, husbands, it's time to step up. Love your wives like Christ loved the church. Wives, it's time to step up. Respect your husbands. Paul gives us this really amazing picture 
as I wrap this up in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, and it says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, he's quoting from Genesis chapter 2. And then he says this. This mystery is profound. This mystery is profound because it refers to Christ and the church. Like, wait, what? What does this mean? This mystery is profound. This, this refers to Christ and the church. What he's saying here is this, is that the relationship, this protected, intimate union that Jesus created on all levels, sexually, emotionally, mentally, all those things, that it actually is a glimpse into how Jesus loves the church. I mean, what a beautiful picture. He could have picked anything, right? He could have picked sunrises or sunsets. He could have picked like the oceans. I mean, he could have picked a lot of different things to, to represent this mystery, but instead he chooses the one fleshness in marriage that points back to the most important event in all of human history. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he gave himself for you, that you, did you know this? You were on his mind by name when he was being nailed to the cross. I mean, here's the thing. Wherever you are at today, I want you to know this, that Jesus loves you and nothing's going to change that. Maybe right now you are in a broken state, like, like you are looking around and, and there's nothing but ashes, Maybe you've made some bad decisions. Maybe, maybe someone else has made some bad decisions and you've been wounded by that. But you look around and you're like, man, how in the world could Jesus love me? Here's the thing. You are worth the death of Jesus. You. I mean, how amazing is this love that our God has for us? That he looks on you, he looks on me, and he says, I know the price I'm going to pay. I know the price I'm going to pay for that person. It's myself. It's myself. Why would he go through all of that stuff just to leave you? Why would he go through all that stuff just to leave you hurting and broken and wounded and scared? So the invitation's open. The invitation is open to simply receive this free gift that's already been paid by Jesus himself. This free gift of salvation, this free gift of life, this free gift of newness. And I tell you what, friends, when you take that step, you will start a journey that's unlike anything else. You will experience a wholeness, a freedom, a new life like you've never, ever experienced before. So would you turn to him? Would you turn to him? So we're going to just take a couple of moments. Every weekend we take our communion together, representing the blood and body of Jesus that was given for us. But before we do that, we're just going to take a moment to reflect. And I just want to answer you two simple questions. How are you in Jesus? How are you in Jesus? Maybe for some of us, we are at a point where we need to take that first step of belief, where we need to take that first step of decision and, and say, yes, I'm, I'm trusting you. I'm no longer trusting myself. I'm, I'm trusting you now. Or maybe you need to turn back 
Maybe you've neglected him. Maybe you've, you've, you've lost your way and, and you've ran somewhere else, but you need to run back to him. And the second question is, is how's your marriage? How are your relationships? How's, how's your one fleshness going? So let's just take a moment or two and let's, let's just spend some time reflecting on those and, and maybe praying right now between you and God. What is it you need to talk with him about? Father, we come to you today and we thank you for your love for us. A love that we can't even begin to comprehend. It's so deep and so wide and so rich. God, we confess our need for you today. God, it's your mercy, it's your grace that that allows us to live. It's, it's your forgiveness that we need on a daily basis, God. And we thank you for making a way. And Father, we lift up to you our, our relationships. We lift up to you our, our marriages. And God, every single one of us in this room has made bad choices. Every single one of us in this room have experienced that fracture of one fleshness. God, thank you that in your love, you keep no records of wrongs, but you are quick to forgive. God, would you bring healing to our souls? God, would you bring healing to those wounds that we carry? God, would you bring healing to our marriages, to our relationships, God, to those things that are, that are hurting? We, would you bring wholeness? and healing, and we thank you for it all. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you're at a place this morning where you are putting your faith in Jesus for the first time, I want you to text this number on the screen, and I want you to text the name Jesus to this number, and I don't want you to wait. I don't want you to wait till later. I don't want you to wait till this afternoon or, or tomorrow. If you are ready to start your relationship with Jesus right now, pull out your phone and text this number right now. And what we're going to do is we're going to respond to you. A real life person is going to respond to you. We're going to celebrate with you. We're going to rejoice with you. We're going to pray, answer questions, anything that you need. We just want to walk with you through that, okay? So every weekend we spend some time remembering Jesus' sacrifice for us, his body given and his blood poured out. So if you have your communion and you would like to partake with me. Let's remember together. And the cup. Well, friends, we're going to spend some time now just singing together, responding to God and his goodness and his love for us. If any of you have anything you'd like someone to pray with you about, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's a relationship, maybe something else, whatever it might be. We have people who'd love to, to spend some time praying with you right there in the back corner under the banner that says prayer. 
So please make your way there while we sing. Let's stand together as we sing.